And you're missing Scotland, the Six Nations ain't quite the same. We all just want you back, we all just want you back. When the French all get Covid and we don't get to play. We all just want you back, we all just want you back. Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Tartan Rugby, where we're going to discuss the game that never happened. Rejoining me in the studio today is Tim. Born in Norway, brought up in Scotland, yet still fierce England fan, George. And all-round sports fan and passionate Welshman, Tom. So unfortunately this weekend, the game against France could not go ahead due to an outbreak of COVID-19 in the French camp. George, what's your thoughts on the situation? Uh, well, in my opinion, I might be a little bit biased here because I, I do, do want Scotland to, to do well in the Six Nations. I, I think... France should have forfeited the game, um, mainly due to the fact that it appears like something due to their celebrations, they allowed it into their camp. I feel like it's, it's their fault. And then today you hear the story of Fabien Gauthier travelling back to Paris to watch his son play rugby. So he broke the COVID bubble. So I'm not saying it was him that brought it back in, but I think kind of classic French attitude of like, a bit more casual than everyone else has led to the the fact that that game couldn't go ahead. Yeah, I mean, if that had happened in the autumn, they would have lost the game twenty-eight nil with um, all the bonus point with the bonus points for the opposition. So it's it's a bit of different the way they've treated France and the way they treated Fiji during the autumn series. Yeah, you've got to assume that they they have different rules for the autumn nations cup versus six nations. I I thought it was going to be the same as the uh, the autumn nations cup, and France are just forfeit and Scotland get a bonus point win as you said but they, they must have changed the rules for the Six Nations but haven't made them uh, haven't made the public as far as, as far as what somebody said actually I think I don't think there are they ha- they haven't actually defined what does happen in these circumstances though I'm pretty sure they're not going to penalise France for it so it will just be a replay whenever they can fit it in the schedule now I guess yeah I think I saw the the date that they're looking to do it is 26th of March, which is the Friday after Super Saturday. I know they couldn't play this weekend because there's still the French isolation and the potential for some of the Scottish players not being available because of other commitments. But uh, yeah, maybe the 25th of March will be the date we have to have to wait for. Tom, do you do you think there should be a forfeit here? Or do you think uh, it's it's quite right that the game's being postponed and we get to watch even more rugby? Yeah, I completely agree with George's points on this. I think because he's broken out of the French bubble, there needs to be more of a strict punishment as in a forfeit. Um, you know, you look around the world of sports in general just now and athletes are having to make that sacrifice. You know, they're having to give up on family time to join the respective bubbles. And um, so I think it's almost a get-out-of-jail-free card for France if they get to replay the game. And Whereas I feel like Scotland has definitely been hard done by and in that sense. So, yeah, I no, completely agree with uh, George and Tim on that. Yeah, yeah. No, I have to say I'm inclined to agree. It's also just uh, setting, setting examples to the to general public at the time as well. Well, particularly professional sportsmen because, you know, they've been given very special allowances to be able to play these games. So I think it's important that they're seen to behave in a suitable manner, you know, in, in the sort of bubble situation. So, uh, yeah. Let's uh, let's see what happens. But... Yeah, well, remember what happened with um, the 
the England versus Barbarians game that was meant to go ahead pre Open Nations Cup, and that didn't go ahead because half of the Barbarians team had gone out and broken the not laws but their own agreements within their Barbarians camp. I don't think they should have been able to get away with this completely scot free. Yeah, so what, what would you suggest? Can you suggest some sort of alternative punishment rather than forfeiting the game? I think I think everyone wants to see the game go ahead. Um, you know, if you're a fan of rugby, of course. I think France should potentially be docked points or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with Jordan on that. I think you've got to dock some, some points. Uh, obviously, you can show bias and when you replay the game in terms of when it would suit Scotland better or when it would suit France better. Because um, then you're never going to know who would have actually won it. When both, both teams are putting out their best sides. Um, but I think, yeah, they should move to the points from the championship standings in general. Yeah. yeah. We, we can all agree some sort of repercussion should certainly take place. Ideally for Scotland, a 28 0 win would be quite nice, but uh, it doesn't look like that's going to happen, unfortunately. Uh, so, so moving on to some of the games we actually can talk about, the England-Wales game. This is this is going to be a interesting topic with Englishman George and Welshman Tom on the line. Tom, what was your take on the game? Yeah, I thought it was a really good game. Um, I thought it was a lot closer than the scoreline dictated, um, especially obviously with the late try from Wales. Um, I felt from a Welsh perspective, there was nothing special about what we were producing. Um, I thought more felt that England kind of played themselves out of it um, and just showed that little bit of lack of discipline. Um, I'm sure George will probably have some key things to say on how bad Wales were. Um, but from my point of view, I just thought it was a solid 80 minutes from Wales. Um, and it's probably something we've done pretty well throughout the Six Nations in general. Um, but yeah, I definitely thought it was a great game of rugby um, from both sides, really. Yeah, Wales are certainly know how to win games at the moment. I mean, I know they've maybe had a little bit of fortune in all three games and I guess we're going to talk a bit more about the England game but each game I think Wales have done what they have to do to win you know what the referee does and what they you know send off they've just kept their own game in order and played ahead you know maybe not fantastically but they're they're scoring tries and they're you know looking very calm in defence so uh, I, th- I thought Wales I thought Wales did okay maybe could do a bit better but they certainly performing well at the moment yeah I, I, I think I agree with Tom on a lot of the points there it was a very good game of rugby there were points where you had you know, good flow in rugby good attack in rugby um, yeah, despite the, the controversies Wales Wales just played the game that they were playing they didn't have a say in those those decisions so they, they just played what was in front of them which was a very ill-disciplined English team and they uh, they really capitalised on that um, I mean, they did, they did let England back into the game a bit and I can't tell if that's down to them taking the foot off the gas a bit or if that was England kind of finding their strides. But um, towards the end, when Callum Sheedy came on, I was really impressed with him. He, he really knew how to close the game out. He had... uh, obviously, a lot of uh, controversy surrounding the first try, but you have to say the execution of the kick from Dan Bigger was absolutely spot on. Um but yeah, well, I, I think we should talk a little bit about the, the first try there. Uh, obviously, Farrell on the pitch was absolutely furious and the general feeling is quite right. A lot of confusion surrounding the ref's decision there. Um, 
yeah, Tim, what do you what do you think about the the referee? I mean, we just look at the decisions. I mean, the I guess that try was seems to be an issue of sort of communication. He definitely told Owen Farrell to speak to his team. Owen Farrell spoke to the team, and then they were still in the huddle from that speech when the referee sort of allowed the play on, allowed the game to restart. And obviously, at that time, the English, particularly the backs, weren't able to get out to to sort of cover that. So you could say that they, it was unfair, the uh, the decision. I don't think Owen Farrell actually helps himself, though, because I don't think his communication with referees is generally very good. He sort of doesn't seem... Some captains seem to be better at handling sort of, or I wouldn't say influencing, but better seem to have a better uh, sort of sort of understanding of the way referees work. So, but it was unfortunate. I definitely think England were unlucky, but Wales, certainly no fault of Wales, as Will said, that the execution of the kick from Dan Bigger was excellent. You know, and I, you just saw the dis- you saw the guy running towards um, Josh Adams when you first saw the try, and you know you just saw he was in so much, much, much space. So it was, um, you know, a tough decision to take. You know, uh, and um, I don't know what you do about it. England aren't going to complain apparently about that an official complaint, but uh, it's obviously uh, sort of bitter. Just, but I do think it highlights one thing, which maybe Hardy showed later on in the game is that they do switch off a little bit defensively as well. They're, you know, they, they seem to panic in defence. They give away tries. And when they, they Sorry, they give away penalties. But when they give away penalties, they, they're not ready. So later on, Hardy was able to score a try by that, you know, their slowness. So I think they have to learn by it. I imagine the referee powers will probably give a word of advice to uh, Pascal Guzier about about that maybe so. Yeah, that's definitely interesting to hear your thoughts on Farrell's communication skills. George, what do you think of Owen Farrell as England captain these days? Do you think he's still the right man for the job? I'm not. I'm not sure anymore. And as as Tim said, he he doesn't have the best rapport with referees. I don't think he's a very likable person. Um, I think when the games aren't going well for him, he often seems to just, it looks like he's sulking, he looks like a petulant child for points. So I think, yeah, when the game isn't going well and the decisions aren't going um, with England, I don't think he is the right man for the job, unfortunately. Yeah, I think I'm coming around to that view. I mean, as I say, I, like you say, he's... he's the way he sort of is with referees doesn't seem to work. Also, I think the decision making on it going on in the game sometimes I think needs to be questioned. I don't know if he's showing leadership. I mean, when your players are giving away a lot of penalties, which they did also in the game, he doesn't seem to be able to sort of rein in control. Um, you know, I would have thought, uh, however good a bigger star he is, I mean, I think he's, you know, I think a good captain would be would have been having a little word with uh, Itoji about his number of penalties. If if you actually look with Alan Wynne Jones on the other side, he he can give the death stare to his players if they think if he thinks they're you know not doing what he thinks they should be doing. Whereas I, that doesn't seem to be happening with Owen Farrell or any of the other senior players. In fact, I mean, I, I also think Ben Youngs doesn't really take control maybe of the situation, and so. They're lacking that. And 
if we look at Wales, not only they've got Alan Wynne Jones, but you know, they had Jonathan Davis back, and he's sort of so unflappable in the centre. You know, you they've got to get a little bit of their management right, I think, if England are going to progress. So, if Farrell's no longer the man for the job, who do we think would be a suitable candidate to for England captaincy? I mean, certainly in the past, you'd look at Atoji, he's he's an insanely good player. I think even in games where near enough the whole England team have a bad one, he's normally the standout player. However, he is giving away so many penalties at the moment and I don't think you'd have a team where you're looking to a leader who is who's can potentially throw the game away. I don't think that's very inspiring and I don't think that's a good uh, dynamic to have. So I would I would like to see uh, Curry with the captaincy. I'm pretty, I think he's had it a couple of times before at Sale. He's quite young. Seems to have a good head on him. Um, does give away a few penalties, but he just—I uh, don't know. I think he's probably a more likable character, less controversial, um, and yeah, I don't think it would affect him as much. Some players, some players change quite a bit when they get the captaincy. Some of them play better without, some of them play better with. So yeah, I'd be—I'd like to see him get thrown the um, the captain's armband. What about another name? What about Jamie George? Um, yeah, I mean, Jimmy George, he's one of the senior players on the team now. Obviously, he's part of the, the Saracen setup as, as well. He's, um, yeah, he's definitely a good player, world class. I think he's been a little bit off the boil lately, and uh, you might end up with a situation which is similar to Dylan Hartley, where where he was the captain for England, not necessarily the best, the hooker, um, and kind of kept Jamie George out of the team quite a lot. And I think that may happen again when you've got the likes of. Luke Count Dickey, who I think has been playing better, obviously playing for Exeter as well, won the double last year. And yeah, and I'd just be a little bit concerned that giving the captaincy to Jamie George would, would lock him in that position and, and keep other good players out. What about, what about you, Tom? Have you got a outsider view on who you think would make an ideal captain for England at the moment? Yeah, I completely agree. I don't think it's Farrell anymore. Um, you know, phenomenal player. Was up to 91 caps now, um, but I think he's maybe just lost the reins on captaincy a little bit. Um, so yeah, as as George said, I think Curry could be really good. Um, I think from an English perspective, it'd be really interesting just to see who their like leadership pack is in general. Um, so you know, like when Warburton was captain for Wales, he still relied on Jamie Roberts and Alan Wynn to you know discuss big decisions with him. Um, it'd just be really interesting to see where that comes from in England. Um, you know, it seems to be a little bit of a broken down um, kind of process just now. Um, I thought a couple of the calls at the weekend were quite interesting from a captaincy point of view. Um, so I think, you know, they would have, to, I think they maybe should pick somebody in the forwards. Um, and certainly, you know, Jamie George and Curry do stand out um, from that perspective. Guys, I just thought we've only discussed the one try. There's a second one in that sort of first half that also was a little bit controversial. Uh, just before we kill the sort of subject on this, I mean, what were your thoughts on this on the second Welsh try, the one by Liam Williams, but with the knock on or whatever it was by uh, uh, Zemit Re Zemit. What's your thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, I, I completely thought it was a knock-on um, in real time. Um, you know, my understanding was if you lose control of the ball forwards, um, it's a knock-on. 
Um, obviously, ref didn't think so, so went to Timo and checked, and it you know looks to go forward, but then come back off his um, foot, um, which to my surprise is not a knock-on. So obviously, I was delighted it wasn't. Um, but it's really interesting to see that it's not. Um, you know, I speak to a few mates some stuff at work today, and a few people were surprised again um, on that one. So um, definitely a stroke of luck, I think, in Wales' favour. I personally thought it was a knock-on because he completely lost control of the ball. Uh, George, what did you think of the knock-on? Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I looked up the law as well to see if it could you know, shed some light on whether that was a knock-on or not. Again, it's, it's not black and white, as is often the case with, with rugby laws. It's a bit of grey area here and there. Um, it did look like he lost possession. It goes forward but it doesn't touch another player or the ground before well, when, it came off his, when it came off his calf. So, I don't know. I, I feel like... Well, I, I just don't know. Obviously, I, I would probably be saying it's, um, it's a knock-on, but when you look at the, the rules, I don't think it is, but there needs to be more definition there. Yeah, I remember a few years ago, there was an Australian player um, called Stephen Larkham, and I saw him knock on a couple of times. And he uh, he tried to sort of, he obviously lost control of the ball forwards, and he tried to sort of just sort of throw a foot at it to uh, make it look like he was sort of doing a dig ahead. And he was, uh, the referee wouldn't sort of, wouldn't put up with that, as I say, but he was obviously aware that if you, you drop the ball forward but managed to kick it, you know, you could sort of plead. I think you could plead that it was a. You know, you were you were doing a sort of, a, 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 you know, a, a, doing a kick. But um, I think it gets. You know, it's one of those things that when you look at the rules, it all sounds slightly ambiguous. And you know, the guy. I think we're all convinced the guy lost control of the ball forwards. And uh, intuitively, I think most people certainly felt that that you know that is effectively a knock on. And interestingly, during the Ireland game, I mean, they, Ireland had a try to allow because one of the forwards, when driving forward, sort of nudged, you know, lost control of the ball, but sort of nudged it forward with his knee or something. And, and the referee actually disallowed the try. So it's obviously the referees are slightly inconsistent in their understanding of that. There's a, definitely a grey area within the rules for that one. Finally, just uh, moving on, um, Tim touched on it earlier, but uh, Hardy's try... The quick tap caught England off guard. I'd love to see that. Talk. Yeah, I thought it was amazing. Um, you know, Hardy's quite a relatively young scrum half. You know, he's 25, um, only got four caps. So to see that from him, I thought was amazing. Um, you know, showed good understanding the game. Um, again, you know, if you look at the play when it's building up, Ken Owens is perfectly over the ball. I don't think there's any need for Hill to try and clear him out. I don't know what he's gaining by doing that. And he's done it illegally. Um, so again, it was just one of those moments where you know the penalty presented itself and Hardy's taking his chances. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a really, really uh, good finish, and it just showed that he's um, got a good head on him. Um, and you know, I think in terms of scrum halves in the Six Nations just now, I think he's definitely um, put himself in contention as probably up there with the best of them. So no, it was really good to see. Um, and for me, it was a great, great chance to celebrate in front of my English flatmate. So I was loving it. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was quite funny if you saw the replay of the try from behind the post. There's a, there's a you you see uh, Elliot Daly sort of busily running off in another direction to get into his defensive position, 
and have no awareness at all as to what the scrum half was doing. It's uh, you know, it's just looking in another direction. I've got to get to my cover position. It's it just shows how you know in these pressure situations how how players react is so important. And I total agreement with you there, Tom, about England's capacity for giving away needless penalties. I mean, you, I think when sides are defending, they will give away penalties. I mean, if you looked at the England-Scotland game, Scotland put so much pressure on England that I think it was inevitable, gave away penalties. But on Saturday, so many of those penalties, you, you just wonder, you know, why give a penalty away? Just let the opposition take the ball in certain circumstances. You, you know, you can't it's just not worth giving the penalty away. And they, they just seem to be serious, serially incapable of, uh, of maintaining a sort of defence that doesn't involve giving away penalties. I think England have to look at that. They, they should really, what they should really do is actually look at Wales in defence, who were sort of much more, I think, much more calculated. They, they competed for the ball, but they, they seem to just drop their penalty account. You know, they just realise when it's not worth carrying on you know you just drop back better to drop back let England run with the ball but, but you know maintain your field position so just look at the opposition in England and I think you know look at what Wales did and I think they, they, they could learn something there. yeah I think it's really interesting from an English perspective so I think they gave away 14 penalties throughout the whole game um, you know the, the starting 15 are very similar to the starting 15 that beat the All Blacks in the World Cup um, but throughout the whole entire of that semi-final, they only gave away six penalties. So there's obviously something going wrong in the England setup that this lack of discipline has just come into play. And, you know, whether that goes back to the captaincy of Farrell or whether it's the fact it's been the same side for so many years now under Eddie Jones, um, I'm not sure, but it's certainly quite a worrying sign, I think, from an English perspective. Yeah. I mean, I suppose from an English perspective as well, I um, players who aren't performing so well, and yet you've got you know, players who maybe you think should be given a chance, you know, like, uh, although Billy Vo Billy Vimpola played better, he, he had a much better game on Saturday, you, you, you know, he's not been in good form, and yet, what does Sam Simmons have to do, you know, he, to get selection for England? He scores twice as many tries as the backs, even, you know, in, in the Premiership, and why is he not getting a look in? Just wonder quite what's going on there, but we'll just have to see what happens in the next game. I've got a feeling it will be the same side again. So the uh, the penalty count has definitely increased, as Tom said, since the World Cup when they were really successful. Is part of that down to the fact that a large bulk of the team are these Saracens players who have zero game time in the last couple of months? Really, are they just rusty? Um, is there a question of are England potentially being over refereed? Is are some decisions you know a bit dubious? I think uh, looking back in the past, one of the, the greatest rugby players of all time, Richie McCaw, he was famed for playing on the edge. But he, for whatever reason, seemed to get away with it. He, he didn't get a yellow card until he had over 50 caps. He seemed to have the luck of the, luck of the dice when it came to how, how his actions were uh, refereed in games. Whereas I think at the moment, what we got with a character like I told you, the other way around, I think... They're, they're very aware that he plays on the edge and they're, they're looking for it constantly and maybe they're doing that more with a few other players as well. Maybe it's been brought up as part of the drive in the referees this year is to, is to make sure that people are playing completely by the letter of the law. 
And I think the referees have been stricter, obviously, like on ruck cleanouts. And I think, I think they are given directives every season. And I think, I think you know, strong refereeing of the of the offside line is is another feature. Uh, so I mean, they're, they're, you know, you have to play what the referee sees that day. It's funny you should talk about uh, Richie McCall because I always think he's close of invisibility. <laughs> you know, he's almost like that coat that Frodo uh, had in Lord of the Rings. He seemed to be able to walk into a, a rut sort of from any direction, and the referee would just sort of, you know, not take any notice at all. Right? So it's, uh, I, ne- I never quite knew how that guy got away with it. So he's. He maybe needs to do a bit of mentoring for Johnny Hill and Maritatoji to, uh, yeah, well, you know, to sort of see if he can sort of give him some, see if he can sort of pass on some of his secrets. I mean, I think Johnny Hill, again, he's another player who plays on the edge. He got a yellow card on debut for England in the Autumn Cup, I think. Um, or maybe it was his first game back in a long time. Anyway, that was just from a, a charge into someone's back. I mean, you're talking about the that gave way at the end there to allow Hardy to get his try. That was almost the same as Wales's first and second game, where Romani and Ferguson both entered rocks or contacts needlessly, without any hope of actually affecting how that rock was going to work out because it's almost already done. And Johnny Hill did the same, but didn't get a red card. But it's, you would have thought that the England players. In fact, all players playing against Wales, the Six Nations, are going to think, I need to be, you know, making sure that I, I can't get carded for any reason. I have to be very careful of all my actions. But instead, England seem to be completely opposite. Well, speaking of the, the cleaning out, the ruck incident um, from two weeks ago with Xander Ferguson, uh, last time we spoke about this, he hadn't received his band and he's been... Since then, he's been given a six-week ban, which is even more than the Omani ban, um, which I was very surprised about. Uh, Tom, do you have any views on, you know, whether whether that's a little bit unfair? Or... It's really harsh on Ferguson, you know, especially with Ferguson's hit. Um, you know, when Jones was getting moved, he was getting rolled out of the way, and the timing of it just so happened that his head popped up when Ferguson's shoulder was there. Um, so I think it's really harsh. When you compare it to a man whose shoulder was blatantly out and he was blatantly, you know, going in for the big clear out, um, I think I guess with Ferguson he'd gone in, you know, from quite a to quite a distance, um, you know, there was you know clear contact. So it's, I think it's very harsh personally. Um, but again, that's just my perspective. Yeah, I think the reason why that Ferguson has got longer ban is because Omani admitted guilt and fault and Ferguson didn't. He still thinks that, um, you know, he couldn't have changed his direction or whatever within that last split second where when Jones's head was moved. So, the, yeah, that's the reason why the ban is longer for Ferguson despite his actual action being less severe. It's because uh, it's the process of, of the, the sighting. I, I agree. I, I felt it was quite tough on Ferguson though because he, he was actually you know, he was actually sort of trying to clear out the guy who was actually going for the ball at the time. And, and you know, that 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 movement is what caused the head strike. Whereas in the Ireland game, it was, you know, Tom Francis was actually trapped in the ruck. So he wasn't going anywhere. So he just got a big hit. You know, happened to be there. Whereas, as I say, and I, I would have thought that those are the sort of events you really want to stop because there's, there's 
you can't find any justification at all for trying to clean out Tom Francis because he, as I say, he was just he just happened to be trapped <clears> in the rut. Yeah, when the way the game's gone now, where the the Jacklers are so competitive at the breakdown, I think there's, there's more turnovers than ever, more penalties being awarded for holding on. You know, there are only so many ways that you can get rid of a Jackler. One of them we see is stuff like how Ferguson approached it, which is to go in as fast as he can and just try and blast the player out, which runs the risk, of course, of making contact with the head. The alternative is what we saw in the England versus um, Italy game with Jack Willis, which is the, the crocodile role to get rid of a Jackler. And either way, there, there are definite negatives. So I think there needs to be... Uh, I think the, the breakdown needs to have another look at it. I think the position of Jacklers definitely needs to be refereed a bit better because you, you seem to get this upside-down V-shape now where they're completely over it. I don't think they're supporting their body weight, which I meant to in most of these cases. I think it needs to return to what it used to be, which is, yeah, you, you really need to be on your feet only. You can't be using your elbows, arms, anything like that, or else you're going to have a more dangerous breakdown as people you know, go to more extreme options to try and remove players. I, I agree with that, actually. I, th I think, you know, there's a few things there. Is One, you often don't see a, a separation, you know, maybe it's because these jacklers are so good these days. You don't really see a total separation from the tackle. You know, they seem to be there and the referees seem to let them do it. So, uh, as, as I said, I think there's a big thing to relook at these areas again. And the other impact on the game is you've got to question that if you're not sure about what's going to happen at the breakdown, I think it's one of the reasons why sides are so keen to kick because, you know, you can't get, if you can't guarantee keeping your own ball at the breakdown, it's a, it's a safer option actually to kick the ball down the park. You know, why even risk this? You know, the Jacklers are becoming so, so successful so why risk taking it into the breakdown? So I, I think that's one of the reasons why the middle of the park now becomes this area where, you know, you know, the, the, the players just sort of go through these periods of kicking backwards and forwards because they just want to avoid the sort of the, you know, losing the ball in the contact. You've definitely made an interesting point there. And that's one area of the game World Rugby will definitely want to take a look at. So moving on now to the other game at the weekend, which was Ireland against Italy. Tom, what did you think of the game in Rome? You know, I wasn't that impressed with Ireland. Um, again, I thought, you know, they made mistakes. They had a slow start, you know, a couple of penalties in the first few minutes. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, the score, they were always expected to win and the score reflects that very much. But I wasn't overly impressed um, with Ireland. I think the two Italian um, Sinbins, you know, just added to that score. Um, so from an Irish point of view, obviously it's good to go out, obviously after two losses, to go out and get a good score. And, you know, the game plan was obviously executed. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how they get on, you know, against some of the bigger hitting teams um, down the line. Yeah, I think when you play Italy in the Six Nations, you're pretty much assuming you're going to win. So it's about what you're going to get from the game in terms of value. Are you going to um, start some new players get new caps, um, you know, give them experience, or are you going to play your, your full team, first team, and you know, really try and get them playing well together, practice some moves, practice um, some areas of the game you want to work on. Uh, Ireland went out largely with their, with their first 15 team, and you know, they had some really good flow in rugby. I think they, they should be pretty happy with their performance overall and 
yeah, I think um, apart from yeah, a few accidental knock-ons and stuff, I mean, the scoreline could have been a lot larger as well. I think James Lowe had a good game. A couple of times he was going down the wing and just couldn't get the offload off. So I think, yeah, I think Iron did very well and uh, they could have done even better. Yeah, just agreement there. As I say, they are difficult games to play in the sense that you, you've almost got more to lose than to gain. You know, you're expected at the moment against Italy probably to win win quite easily. I, I thought Ireland I thought Ireland kept their shape in that sort of game quite well actually. And I think they've got a few talented players who, you know, showed they could play. I think I think um I think Farrell would actually be quite pleased with that result. If those two they had two disallowed tries and if that you know the scoreline would have been very bruising if, if those had been if those had been allowed. So uh I mean, I guess that's one of the things we sort of talked about discussing. I mean, it's just maybe these games against Italy, they're becoming quite difficult at the moment there. Italy are trailing a little bit behind in the uh, behind the rest of the teams in the Six Nations. And you, you wonder quite how, how the future holds for, you know, for Italy's position in the Six Nations. Or I, I understand one of the issues being discussed at the moment is that the... Uh, there's a end of season playoff between the side that finishes bottom of the Six Nations and the uh, and and the team that comes top of the next of, of the of the second leagues and uh, you know so that might be interesting because I guess we saw a little bit of Georgia in the autumn internationals and they they themselves struggled against I, I think the the, the regular uh, Six Nations side so I think there has to be a looked at as the way ahead because you you know you've got I guess you've got the option to replace in Italy with Georgia but Italy have got such good infrastructure now or or some kind of merit you know maybe an appropriate meritocracy and you know there'd be a playoff I, I personally think it would be a good thing also just maybe give a little bit more point to the sort of league structure of the Six Nations um, and and the league below giving the the countries there, the opportunity to progress. Well, what way would you see that progressing? Would that a, a playoff between two sides, or just automatic promotion? Or well, is that the amount of games that players are playing these days? I, I would say an automatic. Whoever comes bottom of the six nations gets relegated, and someone gets promoted. I would say. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing just now, isn't it? Um... Obviously, you know, from that second tier, Georgia are obviously the main main team. You know, I guess Romania and, you know, Spain, Russia. Um, you know, they all have teams that are slowly building. Um, but I certainly think Russia, uh, sorry, Georgia are probably the standout team. Um, I think from an Italy perspective, you know, they do have a relatively good base in terms of their under-20s team. You know, they're very competitive in the under-26 nations. And, you know, five of those guys have now come through. Um so it'd be really interesting to see over the next few years how they get on. Um, but equally, you know, Will, as you said, to promote the game in these other nations, you know, getting one of them into the Six Nations and the amount of revenue that would generate um, for their rugby union would be massive. Um, so it'd be really interesting to see. Yeah, maybe adding the, the delegation and promotion would yeah, certainly make things more exciting and, and give these small nations a, a chance to come through. I think um, I mean, Georgia have been so good in the last couple of years or have been improving so much because a huge chunk of their players in France now, um, which is a really competitive league. 
think something that's been holding Italy back is the fact that they still have their two club sides that play in the uh, in the Celtic Cup, um, but they don't have enough players. I don't think playing in other leagues. They have they have a few now. Jake Pledry plays for Gloucester. He's doing really well there. They've got Matteo Nazi at Wasps. Um, unfortunately, Jake Pledry's injured, and I haven't seen Matteo Minazzi playing, but. Yeah, some some part of me wants to give them a couple more years to work things out, and then part of me thinks you know they've had enough um, enough time to prove themselves. So maybe we do need, yeah, maybe maybe not a yearly relegation, but every two years a team gets to come up because potentially one year isn't enough for a team to prove itself. Well, there's certainly a lot of interesting points there. Um, so now looking forward to next week's game for Scotland against Ireland at Murrayfield on the 14th of March. George, what are your thoughts for this game? I think Scotland have got a pretty good chance, actually. I mean, they'll, they'll be slightly disadvantaged having not played at the weekend. Um, Ireland looking to get a bit good again, but Scotland have beaten Ireland in recent years. And Tom, what do you think the score might be? I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see who comes out on top. But I'm, I'm again, I'm tempted to go and I'm going to go Scotland by six. And finally, Tim? I think Scotland may just edge it. I think it's going to be a very tight game. I think Ireland, Ireland are fully capable of winning. I think it's going to come down to a bit of Finn Russell or Stuart Hogg magic, maybe just to, just to shade it to, to Scotland. I think the Scottish forwards have been playing really well as well, which is so important. They've got to get on the front foot against the Irish. So it's... Uh, I think if they can do that, I, th- I can see a little bit of magic from Russell and Hogg. And that, you know, Scotland, Scotland by two. Okay. I just want to echo what you've all said. I think it'll be a fantastic game. I can see it being very close. Um, ideally, what I would love to see is just Scotland start to develop that winner's mentality, um, maybe slightly improve their game management and. Uh, Still play exciting rugby, but also take the points when they're on offer. And yeah, assuming they can keep their discipline, then I'm going to say Scotland by eight points. Thanks very much, guys, for coming on the show. It's been great to have you. Hear your viewpoints on, unfortunately, not the Scottish game, but the the Six Nations just in general. And obviously the two controversial penalties during the England-Wales game. It's very interesting to hear your thoughts on that. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us, us, mate. We'll speak to you again soon. Yeah, take care.